And welcome to the 112th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that earns our keep polishing Travis's obnoxiously nice Porsche he bought with your money. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor at Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and to Canada. Check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether you're building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at mtgcritic on Twitter. My co-host tonight is Cliff Daigle, a.k.a. at Word of Commander, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Always happy to fill in. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. The show is, as always, sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Hey, Cliff. Welcome back. What's on the agenda this week? Uh, We've got uh, three things to talk about. One, we've got some fun movers to talk about. Uh, Some really weird cards have gone crazy this week. We're going to move on to our picks of the week. Uh, You and I have some things that we think are undervalued in our uh listeners would profit from and then we've got some tournament disc results to go over maybe we can uh, cap things off how you can uh, fill us in on your adventures uh, over on card sphere and let us know how that's been going oh that's right yes absolutely it's been a great time all right um so let's dive in on our our top movers and uh, see what's been uh, under pressure this week. First we, off, we have Mental Misstep Foils out of New Phyrexia, moving from 18 to just about 30 for about a 60% gain. Um, even though this card is banned in both Modern and Legacy for being too good, um, it sees occasional play in Vintage, and keep in mind that this is a single printing almost 10 years ago, um, so despite the low demand profile, not super surprising to see foils of uh, a card at that power level pop somewhere down the road. Being from New Phyrexia, it's got uh, one of the smallest supplies out there, third set from, like you said, 10 years ago. And uh, even though I think this was supposed to be Force Spike, uh, was what I'd heard at the time, it's a really busted and broken card, and Vintage is going to do that to it. So uh, get your foils. If, I'm sorry, you've got your foils already if you wanted them at $30 a piece. Uh, you have a good time. True story at GP New Jersey. Uh, in 2015, I was sitting in my hotel room the night before the tournament, um, trying to pull together my Legacy Slivers deck, and in my box of Legacy cards, found Mental Missteps, and it was like, this card seems amazing, how come nobody plays it? And put a bunch of them in my deck, <laughs> and was like, hadn't hadn't actually handed in my registration yet, but was playing a game with somebody in the lobby that night, and they're like, what are you doing with those in your deck? And I'm like, it's good, right? And they're like, it's banned, right? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, good to know. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see it being really busted in Legacy. So obviously, I went on to win that tournament, given my really? high level of skill. No, and um, your uh, knowledge of the meta. Don't forget that too. But that, that is, but flunking out of that tournament early is how I got my first Lotus. So <laughs> I'm not complaining. Oh. Upside. Silver Linus. All right, next on the list. Next up, we have Soul Flayer out of Fate Reforged. The foils have gone from about a buck fifty to two seventy-five. Uh the deck keeps trying in modern. It's a really fun deck when it works, and it is a pile of hot garbage when it doesn't. That doesn't mean that it's not gonna be good in modern. It just means that it's gonna be inconsistent until they get one or two more ways to do this. Yeah, it's a tricky card. I, I've got a bunch of these in the bad spec box. Um, that kind of movement seems big on paper, like 80% plus, but it gets you nowhere. Um, if you bought it in a place at six, you might be able to unload it at like $9 after fees, blah, blah, blah. Totally worthless. You leave that leave that in the box and, and hope that one day it hits more like 10 on the foils. Maybe we'll get another uh, really awesome creature to pair with it. I'm surprised that the modern lists uh, that we saw they're using uh, Zatalpa. Am I saying that right? The the white giant dinosaur. They're still not playing Chromanticore. I mean, they're playing these other dinosaurs and these other things, but no Chromanticore. And it just seems like a missed opportunity. Hmm. 
All right, so next on the list, we have Earthcraft from Tempest. This is a reserve list card that uh, is currently banned in Legacy, but could be unbanned at some point, uh, making a move from 40 to about 75. They are drying up all over the place. Uh, your last best bet is probably in Europe. Um, that kind of uh, 80% gain does matter. Um, you said you wrote about this in November? In November, it was uh, one of the cards I picked as something that could uh, spike really hard when it gets unbanned. And I feel like they're going to eventually. They unbanned World Gorger Dragon, which is just a dumb, silly combo with stuff like Animate Dead, when you could... I mean, the, the busted combos with Earthcraft have always been uh, something like Squirrel Nest on a basic land, and that's not going to break Legacy at all. Eventually, it's going to get unbanned, and when it does, I want to be ready to sell into that hype because it's going to break 100 when it does. I'm at the point now where I don't really even care. What happens to this card in Legacy? I'm on the same tip with this as I am with the Dual Lands, um, which I'm recently uh, reinvigorated on. Um, and that's just EDH. Like, I, I think that's all you need at this point. EDH is the biggest growth format. It might even be the biggest format overall. Hard to tell because we don't have big tournaments to to uh, glean numbers from. Um, and a lot of the EDH play doesn't happen inside the Wizards Play Network. But my gut tells me, based on what sell has been selling really well and how well the the EDH related masterpieces have done compared to the modern related expeditions, um, I, I think all you need is the ED, mild EDH demand to get these some of these reserve list cards to hit higher ceilings and, and stick there. Um, you only need a couple of EDH players a month to to be picking these things up at at the new plateau for the price to stick. What makes this really appealing is that it is probably. Uh, short of maybe Gaia's Cradle, and I'm willing to have that discussion about which would be better, um, Earthcraft will enable all of the dumb shenanigans in every token deck you ever heard of. So, um, yeah. and, the th- and the thing is, we don't really even have a really super amazing token-based commander at this mm, point. Have you ever played a token like, deck with Sliver Queen, sir? I respectfully disagree with your assessment. Because Sliver Queen... I'm not saying. As, I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's. No- I, I had this deck. Go ahead. And I'm telling you, like uh, Hearthstone plus Training Grounds. Any of those is instant infinite slivers. Just boom. Gotcha. No, there's a whole bunch of decks that can make slivers. What I'm saying is, we don't have a, a commander that's been printed that screams, "Go bu- build a bunch of token decks." We have a bunch of stuff like uh, Gav and and Rist the Redeemed. He's on and, Tamar or uh, Prosh. Prosh. Yeah, there's all the Prosh is spicy. Prosh is. Probably infinite immediately if because you're paying the amount of mana and you're getting that many tokens and you tap it all. I gotta sit down and work on that. Yeah, it's nasty. So, yeah, all I'm saying is you're gonna get a commander this year or next or something that's gonna be token focused, and people are gonna go, "Oh, let's build token decks." And cards like Earthcraft that are on the reserve list and already in low supply are gonna post up for yet another. I game. can't argue with that. I would. Just simply tell you, if you have an Earthcraft, whether it's in a deck or in a binder someplace, I would not sell into this hype right now. I would actually be holding on. I think, I think most of the reserve list stuff is a hold at this point, unless you desperately need the money. I've got that, that whole collection that I got from my cousin last year that's just full of all this reserve list stuff that has doubled up over the course of the year. And it's just sitting politely in the closet waiting for a couple more years to slide by before it puts its hand up and asks to go out to play. <laughs> What's next on the list? We can't ever top that kind of phrasing or thoughts that you're keeping something locked in the closet and not ever letting it out to play. <laughs> Political Trickery is also a reserve list card from Mirage. Um, sees pretty mild play across the board, even in EDH, although I think that might it might be underplayed there. Being able to take people off their combo land um, or their guy's cradle or something in exchange for a basic is pretty, pretty spicy. Um, doesn't make sense to me that it's only a few hundred decks that are playing it. Uh, card went from three to five fifty. Not super exciting, given that you never get to sell these in multiples. Um, but hold these again uh, for the day where they end yeah. up being fifteen. Uh, I, I've played this for fun, and while it does have a uh, a certain value of I got you, it's just not. Uh, it doesn't feel as good as some of the more proactive things you could be playing. Uh, this is a top tier card in your Zedru deck, though. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, th- this next card is in 29,000 decks. Wait, is that the biggest? That's got to be the biggest number, right? Like, No, but it's it's like way up there. Uh, Cross and Grip 
uh, from Time Spiral, the original foils moving from $8 to $17. Uh, because it has split second and can't be responded to, it allows you to shut down bad things um, that might be about to cost the entire table the game and makes it an invaluable uh, card in any uh, deck. This is important to note that this is the pack foil that has spiked. The FNM foils and the, M- the Modern Masters foils have not yet done the same. Uh, that's mainly because people are tend to be a little bit more what's the word I'm looking for? A little more particular. Well, I mean, original, yeah, I mean, original foil, original foils are always going to hold the highest value. Um, but the fact that it hasn't, we haven't seen it since modern masters makes me want to look up how far we are away from the tipping point for the three, three different foils to choose from, even though none have been in the last five, uh, well, not five, uh, first modern masters was 2013. Uh, so it has, oh, it's almost been five years, right? Am I remembering that? Yeah. And actually, there's so supply in these foils is really low. This this could be easily be a pick. Um, snap these up at five. You probably get to sell them at 15 later because it's already appeared in both Commander 2013 and Commander Anthology So it's, and, and Commander 2015 um, as non-foils. So the foils are a solid target. Next on the list. Next up is foil copies of City of Brass out of 7th edition have apparently gone from $62 to 135 gaining about 117%. And this appears to be people doing the foil 7th edition thing again, because you have other foils of City of Brass to choose from. And this isn't even like original printing City of Brass. This is... Yeah, I mean, the Arabian Night version has topped 300 this year, right? So what we're seeing, again, I think this is the intersection of of collectors and EDH, um, because City of Brass fits in a ton of EDH decks. Uh, so that that demand alone is enough to prop up the the more premium versions of this super ubiquitous land. Yeah, the anything foil 7th edition is just waiting its time because it's one of the most popular collection targets out there. People want to set up the first... Uh, you want a set of Urza's Legacy foils, and you want a set of 7th edition foils. So you get those early foils going on. Yeah, I mean, 24,000 decks registered with City of Brass on EDH Rack, so... Yeah, but that... Surprise? Uh, no, it is a surprise that a foil would be this much, considering how many version, foil versions you have to go with. There's 8th edition, there's ninth. I believe this was a ninth edition, too. And you have uh, at least two Masters printings. There's There's been a few, plus uh, it was in Time Spiral, wasn't it? I want to say it was in the time spiral time shifted. Uh, let's no, I don't think it was. Okay. So let's see. We have foil seventh, foil eighth, uh, modern masters. Oh, I guess that's it. That's a lot less foils than I thought there were. Hmm. Yeah. That's the thing. There was also the JSS promo, um, but those are pretty hard to come by as well. And they're, they're also on track to, to break fresh records this year. I mean, th- th- those ones are essentially out of stock right. on TCG. So, but if you've all you've got is seventh and eighth and the original printings were pre-foil, that explains a lot. Yep. Uh, let's move on to our next one, which is not going to be a surprise to anybody who's been listening for the past few weeks. Urza's Tower out of Antiquities. Uh, just... All of these cards, if you've got any of them in original printing, they're all hitting the 13 to 17 range. Uh, It doesn't really matter which art, it'll all get there eventually. And if you've got them, pick them and wait till they hit that price if they haven't yet. Uh, I I would even listen if you wanted to hold on to them for longer. I don't think we're in danger of the lands being banned in modern, so don't, uh, don't panic about that if I were you. Yeah, we talked about this. Multiple of the Urza's Lands original printings have been under pressure over the last couple of months. And in our last discussion, we uh, alluded to the fact that so long as Tron dodges the ban bullet, and in, as much as it is uh, a reviled deck, it probably will, um, because it's not dominating the, the tournament circuit. It's just sitting comfortably in its like tier 1.5 position, semi-permanently. Um, which leads me to believe that between usage in EDH and in modern and occasional play in legacy as well, um, you know, pe- these are a definite hold. They're going to end up being 20 to 25 where they started in the 5 to $10 range earlier this yep, year. Yep, that sounds about right to me. 
All right, so next we've got Teferi's Isle from Mirage. It's reserve list card, moving from three to seven. That's just reserve list targeting, no big deal. Faith is Looting, Commander 2015 edition, moving from a dollar to 250. Um, I believe it's used more heavily now in modern than it was before, especially in the Mardu Pyromancer deck um, that's been making some waves. Um, hard to make money on something that makes a move like that, but if you've got a bunch of bulk to pick, that might be something to go looking for. Uh, Considering it was a it's been a common a couple of times. So if you find them, uh, just build up the stack, head over to a Grand Prix and see who's going to give you a dollar to a dollar or so per card. It's always a fun way to start your GP. Yep. Uh, Lake of the Dead is another reserve list card out of Alliances that is sees moderate play in, in EDH and pretty much nowhere else. Um, it makes a whole bunch of black mana if you sack swamps. And moving from 25 to 70 for 180% gain is very nice, especially given that I was picking these up last summer in Europe for 12 apiece. And I pulled a stack out of the closet last night to start pricing and throwing up for price testing. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that you let some things out of the closet to play early. That's good of you. Yeah. Well, it's um, not in the bad spec box. It's in the good spec <laughs> box. They get, go with, so, they get to go for recess. I don't want to derail things, but just to be clear, you have a good closet and a bad closet. Is that what you have going on? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If you don't, if you don't perform in six months, you go to the bad closet. You go to the bad closet. All right. Let's just move on before we start getting some interesting emails. Uh, next up is Gauntlets of Chaos out of Legends, going from nine fifty to thirty three. Uh, all of the entire set of Legends is going to come under pressure. Uh, anything that was a rare or uncommon two, I think, was the thing in that set. Anyway, it's all going to eventually go up because people are trying really, really hard. Yeah, yeah, it's not tactical. <laughs> There's, the, the the only premise under underlying all of this, like 93, 94, and I don't mean the format, I mean the years uh, movement, is super low supply. Bunch of cards that are never going to get reprinted, and even if they aren't on the reserve list, they aren't going to be reprinted at as in their original incarnation versions. And as a result, um, you know, the, the price pressure has been continual um, for the better part of 18 months. Uh, Stone Rain from 7th edition, the foils moving from 3 to 15. That's probably on the back of Ponza doing well in modern and 7th being the preferred modern foils. Um, that's a pretty good gain. If you've got a couple of those lying around in a binder, you might want to think about getting out of those. Um, Life Death, the split card from Apocalypse. Um, Foils apparently moved from $2 to $15. I don't know if that plateau can hold. Um, I'm not aware of any decks that are running the card, so I'm not sure if it was on a streamer um, uh, deck feature or something this week that I missed. Uh, if anybody knows what's going on with that card, holler at us. Yeah, I. you can find the... There's an FNM promo that you can find for 3 to 5 bucks on eBay, so I, I don't know either. I tried to find uh, some new spicy things with this, and I failed. So uh, please let us know. Uh, also notice notable that Mishra's Factory, the winter version, which is the most preferred because I believe it's the rarest um, of the four versions of Mishra's Factory from Antiquities, supposedly moved from 200 to almost 600 this week. Um, this is a card that you could get for 150 not too long ago and about 50 not so far before that. Um, I've been picking up the other three, spring, summer, and autumn, um, over the course of the last couple months in any condition better than LP. Um, I, I think those are all going to be very, very good picks because just old school demand alone, plus collector demand for people trying to finish sets and in and amidst all of this hoarding that's going on from those years, it's probably going to be enough for all of that to get there. I like how you're using uh, hoarding there. We, there are a lot of people who are just holding on to it and saying, this is my retirement fund. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm not sure if that's like a realistic perspective, but it's certainly there traded in for a cheap weekend in florida fund a cheap weekend in florida what's uh what's last on the list this week james so biggest funniest mover of the week tell tours edict from mirage is a red card that allows you to exile one of your own permanents and draw a card matt nass put it to work in a channel fireball video where he was abusing interactions between uh dark depths and blood sun um to get 2020s into play faster and he was also using Despotic Scepter, I believe. And since the uh, edict is on the reserve list, go figure. Um, we saw this thing move from fifty cents to five dollars. I will happily, happily uh, send somebody a prize when they try and roll out this list in Paper Legacy. 
Uh, it actually looks not too bad. Uh, I've seen worse decks running all the two mana lands and trying to land the Blood Moon like on turn one with a Simeon Spirit Guide. But this is trying for a whole new level. Normally they lock you down and then just make you sad and grind you out. This is, I'm going to play a Blood Moon or Blood Sun. I'm going to put down Dark Depths. And then the turn after that, I'm going to start killing. I'm going to kill you. So just speeds up everything so that you don't have to worry about someone getting out from under the Blood Sun or the Blood Moon. It has a pretty similar feel to the show and tell decks, right? Like it's it's an all in. If I unfurl properly in the first couple turns, you're under uh, immense pressure. And if I stumble or you do something about the first, like if you swords the first dark depths token, then <laughs> I'm on my yeah, heels. Yeah, it's really heavily heavily dependent on landing one of the uh, blood moon effects, and if you get it thought seized away. Uh, other things happen. It gets forced. There's no counterspell protection in here either. So uh, it's it's real all in. It, you're going to win or you're just going to be uh, going for lunch 10 minutes into the round. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to segment two, cards to watch. We're going to go through some of the stuff that we think has immediate upside or, uh, or looks like a reasonable uh, pickup for anywhere out to about 12 months. Um, my first pick this week is a card that I've called at least once in the past, probably maybe a year ago now. Um, Reality Smasher foils were too cheap for far too long, and we're now seeing supply uh, dry up. They're going to show up in my Tipping Point article this week if they're still left after you guys get a little bite out of them. Um, confidence level on this would be a 9 for these to go from like 14 to 30 plus. Um, eventually, this thing gets reprinted probably in one of the master sets in 2019, but I think... Um, before uh, it comes down the reprint pipeline, you're going to get a shot at seeing it peak. Um, Eldrazi, of course, sees play in multiple versions in both Modern and Legacy, even all the way back into Vintage sometimes. Um, so pretty safe bet. And I'm already holding a bunch that I got under 10, um, including some Russian foils that I got for a bit more. And I'd, I'd be happy to snap up another 8 or 12 copies under 15. Do you think it's uh, 100% that the next Modern Masters, which has, uh, it will have no set restrictions, right? It'll be every pretty much everything's legal? Uh, well, you mean in the sense that they're not well, going to call it Modern too. Masters? But they've, they've said in other sets that this goes from this set backwards. Like the most recent one had Innistrad, so Snapcaster was available. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I and I, yeah, and I think that they caught up to the point where now they're just gonna. If anything, I think that you get a two-year window on most cards. Um, we haven't seen them breaking that mode very often so far. Um, It'd be so, pretty rough if next summer's Modern Master set had like Heart of Kiran in it, Heart of Kieran. Yeah, but I, I, they could do that, but I don't think anybody <laughs> would care, right? Like they've already set the bars. They've already set the bar so low with Tree of Redemption. I'm not sure oh, they can get much worse. Don't issue a challenge um, like that to Wizards, man. Come on. Let's not let's not throw that gauntlet <laughs> down. They'll give us the, uh, the set of Kamigawa Dragons again or something. The, the bottom line is Eldrazi aren't going anywhere. Um, the deck's good, but not so good that it's under in any kind of danger of being banned. Um, and as a result, um, you know, you're, you're going to get a shot in the next 6 to 12 months to make some money on this card. And if you haven't already stockpiled some and if it doesn't get reprinted in 2019, then, you know, it's yeah. just going to get higher and higher. A foil rare that's played as a three or a four of in modern decks could easily get to 70 or 80 um, if they don't reprint it in the next couple of years. So, you know, if you want a play set, definitely no reason to hold back. If you want to stock, you know, three or four play sets alongside that, you're going to be in good position. I'm with you on that. Uh, right, what's my, your pick? My first pick this week is the promo version of Fatal Push, the FNM that got released back in September. Uh, I like this as a mid to long timeline. Right now, you can get them for about ten dollars, and the pack foil is twenty five. So that would be about the ceiling on this. Uh, I don't think they're going to even if they reprint it in some Modern Master set or something. It's going to have different art. It's going to be the foil version, and this is the seventh most played card in Modern that you can pick up a foil of for $10. The uh, original non-foil is $8, so for just a couple bucks extra, you can go for a foil version, and whether or not you like the art better, it's a, a healthy discussion to have about taste. Uh, it's It seems like a slam dunk to me. 
I've had the argument on Twitter just recently um, as to which art is better. Um, I'm of the opinion that the FNM promo is better. And especially when you see it in person um, and shift it around in the light, it becomes obvious which foil is better. Um, the supply in these is really deep. So I've been focusing on Russian foils, which I called like maybe three months ago in and around 15 to $20 range, because even we're, we're going to get many foil fatal pushes over the years, but Russian foils have been a, a focal point of mine because um, even when you get a master set, you only get it in simplified Chinese and Japanese. You never get Russian and Korean. So uh, Russian reprints have to happen in standard, which fatal push will be reintroduced to at some point, but it probably gets two or three years before you see it show up in standard again. I would also want to listen if somebody wanted to make the case about uh, pack foils at 25, considering the amount of yeah. play that this gets in uh, Legacy and in Modern. It just seems like it's uh, underpriced for now, but especially these FNM promos. Yeah, I think that the long-term prospects for this card are muddied if by the same waters that you would have to look at for, say, the history of Path to Exile promos. That's another like top-tier removal spell in multiple formats that's been reprinted to dust where you know the all of the foil promo printings are really nice have great art look good uh in sleeve but have had trouble appreciate appreciating because they have been relatively plentiful for so long um so a lot of this depends on how long between promo printings of fatal push like is there a judge foil down the road or something um but again, um, I, you can still get the Russian versions of the promo on eBay from the Russian vendors. And by the way, I've, I've had I get the impression on a regular basis that Americans are uh, so spoiled by Amazon that they don't bother to look outside their own borders to order magic cards. If you flick that little switch on eBay and open yourself up to, uh, you know, the guys in Thailand and Ukraine and Russia and Israel that are selling cards, you're going to get some really sweet deals because sometimes their shipping is a little higher. But as soon as you put together a package where the price of the cards exceeds like $20 US or whatever, you can easily you know, dis disperse um, your shipping cost or, or diffuse your shipping cost across multiple cards and justify the international shipping. And because you're always backed by PayPal and eBay anyway, unless you're in a rush and need the cards for like your very next weekend tournament, May as well wait a week or two and have some really sweet things show up from overseas. That's a good plan. I keep looking for, uh, I still need a French foil murder from any set because I really want a shiny homicide for my cube. And I just, I can't find one anywhere, not international sellers or anything. So I, I'm sure I can just order that for you on Magic Card Market and have it come in on my next package. Put me down for one, sir. Uh, yeah. Uh, so let's move on to your next pick, which is a card that I've never liked. Yeah, I mean, serum powder foils look like they're set to pop the original copies from Dark Steel. It's been getting a little bit of attention in modern lately um, as a fringe option. Um, it was reprinted with the same art in uh, Iconic Masters, which is uh, not a set. <laughs> that you would typically be looking at for investment right now. But I took a look at the foil, the depth of the foil pool um, for those, and it's relatively shallow at five bucks. And the originals are at 15. So I think there's a pretty good chance that, I, I, I don't think a lot of Iconic Masters is going to get opened for the rest of the year. I mean, everybody's moved on. I mean, everybody's already over Magic 25, let alone Iconic Masters. And we're moving on to Dominaria, and then we've got a uh, probably a pretty spicy core set this summer. Um, all of which leads me to believe that foils from iconic masters are probably at peak supply uh, already so if you see you know 20 or less copies of an important foil or even a like medium important foil like this one uh keep in mind this is only the second time this has ever been printed and the original foils are essentially almost out of stock so i think this gets up over 10 for sure maybe over 15 if you're looking to play one of these funky decks that uses this um and gemstone caverns or whatever um, just go ahead, snap them up. Uh, I'm, I've already put aside one or two play sets, I think at that $4 mark, um, plan to sit on them for a year or two, suspect that they'll get outed at a play set randomly one Friday night on eBay during a sale. I mean, I'm, I didn't even know this got reprinted in Iconic Masters, to be honest. I, I think about this card so little and it does such a narrow, narrow thing. I'm stunned that they decided this needed a reprint. Um, I just, I don't like how confusing it can make a game, but considering we've got three creatures now we can cast from exile, 
uh, it makes sense that somebody's going to try and real hard to break this. So I, I like it as a spec target. I just don't like it as a card that exists. I mean, if, for, for people that don't know, this is an artifact for three that taps for a mana. So a super inefficient mana rock. But anytime you could mulligan and serum powder is in your hand, you can remove your hand from the game, then draw that many cards. So you can basically, if you if you are playing one of the decks with Eternal Scourge, you can put, and you have one or two of those in your hand, it's like you actually mulligan to eight or nine uh, because you have creatures ready to cast. They're essentially sitting in your hand out in exile. Uh, it's niche. I mean, Miss Moon Griffin's on there too. So you you can do fun things with it. It's also sees occasional play in decks that are saying, I have to have these one or two combo cards and I will keep mulliganing until I get there. And this is just a basically a free mulligan to seven. Yeah. Uh, next up on the list is uh, my pick of Metallurgic Summonings, the foil mythic out of Kaladesh, currently available for five dollars. Uh, I I just love this one as an EDH pick. Uh, going back to something you said a little bit ago, uh, I've seen uh, in my experiences playing EDH uh, growth in people playing spell decks, especially uh, Jaleva, the one who gives you a free flashback every turn, and. If you have not had the pleasure of having this card in play, it is disgusting because you keep getting more and more uh, tokens, and then you can just refill your hand uh, for sacrificing it and paying five. I think the foils will eventually make it to 15. It won't be quick, but this is something that uh, I don't think is going to get reprinted and has great long-term growth potential. Yeah, I agree. It's only showed up, showing up in like 4,000 or so EDH rack decks so far, but... As a foil mythic that was largely overlooked, it's it's really just all about how long it takes supply to drain, and then there's going to be a tipping point. So, I mean, looking over the existing supply, we've still got a pretty good amount to go, like maybe 30, 40 copies need to disappear before we're going to see some serious price movement. So I don't think you need to be in a rush, and you can certainly wait for a coupon to pick these up. Um, but if you just want your single copy for your deck, you go ahead and snap it up now because it's never going to get any cheaper. I mean... $3 foil foil mythics that are good in EDH. No-brainer. Yep, that's my thinking too. All right, so my final pick of the week is uh, probably the best of the three. Uh, argue, arguable. Definitely better than Serum Powder, probably equivalent to Reality Smasher. Spire of Industry foils um, have somewhat quietly just overtaken pretty much every artifact deck in Modern. It's a four of in Lantern Control. It's a four of in Affinity. This is the land from either Revolt that taps for colorless, or you can tap it, pay a life, and get a uh, mana of any color as long as you control an artifact, which lets them do all sorts of um, toolbox shenanigans out of the sideboard or even with some interesting things in the main, depending on what the meta requires. That ability for colorless decks to dip into specific colors to get things that they need to be more competitive in the meta is invaluable. And given the that these uh, pretty much all current and future artifact decks are going to want this card and how relatively few foil copies there are available under $10. This is a slam dunk to get from 10 to 20 before they ever reprinted. I am so on board with this. Uh, I wish I had noticed this before and I'm jealous of the awesomeness of this pick because uh, I don't think Lantern Control is going to go anywhere unless they decide that they need to ban Ensnaring Bridge, which seems like a, an overreaction to me. So this is going to be awesome, and Affinity is always going to be. There's always going to be a, a deck that is going to play Ravager and uh, seek to do dumb things with cranial plating. So I am uh, a thousand percent on board, and I wish I had thought of it. There's also a bunch of fringe decks too, right? Like Ironworks combo runs it, Thopter Sword variants run it. You occasionally see it in Legacy and Vintage. I mean, like um, you said, a free and, splash and, paying a life is not that big a deal. Uh, you've got this and you've got Glimmer Void to enable your deck to do just about anything you'd want to do. You've got eight lands that can tap for any color of mana. And I mean, e even over in EDH, you know, just from Brea and Sidri alone, you have like 2,800 decks running it. So all of that makes me want to have just about as many as a, of these as I can get my hands on. I believe in you, James. Uh, my last pick this week <laughs> is the Immortal Sun. Uh, I'm in on foils. I think this is a amazing and easy thing to pick. Right now, foils are going for $20, which is kind of surprising considering we are at uh, just about max uh, supply for this card. 
Uh, it is not big on EDH rec yet, but I think that's going to change as you see more people get this into play and you see the million awesome things it does for you. Uh, I personally played it uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, shut down like six planeswalkers, one of whom was Vraska the Relic Seeker, and they thought they had all their bases covered because they could just blow something up. But no, sir. No, you cannot. Uh, the non-foils are a little under 10. The, the foils are going for around 20 right now. And I think they're going to double up eventually. Seeing these at $40 eventually for a small set mythic uh, seems like a lock from my point of view. Yeah, I like these a lot more when they were completely undervalued and you could pick them up on sub 10 um, at 20. I mean, part of this is you guys were talking on um, uh, on Cartel about its its role in standard as standard unfurls throughout the rest of the year. Um, and that's certainly going to contribute to price pressure. Um, there are still people that foil out standard decks, believe it or not, I, I, um, although I don't know why really? they do that. Yeah, I see foil decks at F&M all the time. Wow, standard. okay. Um, I mean, somebody's but somebody buy and foils sell for cards that we don't don't see in modern EDH. Somebody's got to buy them. <laughs> true, true. So there, there is. Uh, otherwise, they'd be worth one cent, right? So, uh, yeah. So there's very relatively few of the foil Immortal Suns left. It's interesting in EDH from the perspective that there are like maybe fifteen artifacts in the four to seven casting cost range that all have a bunch of upside. Um not 100% clear which deck which wants which wand at any given time. Um, a lot of it comes down to personal preference and like deck tweaking. So I, I think I agree with you that this will get there. Um, I think it's going to take a little longer um, for it to drain out. Um, part of that will depend on how important it is in standard. If it gets very important in standard and is played as a multiple, then it may peak sooner, which would certainly be a, you know, a nice uh, out um, and if not, I think you might end up holding these for anywhere to from a year to three years. I think this is the kind of card that almost never gets reprinted. If it shows up again, it will. It might be in a EDH deck in the fall, but not as a foil. So, you know, to plan on playing with a couple of these foils in your decks for a few years and then outing them when they double or triple up seems like a solid plan. I just think that the combination of the the range of effects, we don't have anything that has just shut down all planeswalkers. You've had to like. Pick one with Sorcerer's Spyglass or Pithing Needle. And uh, the number of people, at least in the folks I play EDH with, uh, this is one of their least favorite cards to ever see because they're all trying to get maximum value out of playing a bunch of uh, bunch of Planeswalkers. It just makes me happy. to have it, it, Yeah, my Attraxa deck doesn't want to see this on the table not. unless That's, I'm holding a and this is Yeah, it's going to eat a Vindicate or a Crossing Grip real damn quick. I'm not under any illusions about that. But it just does so many awesome things, and uh, small set mythic, I'm in. All right. Um, so moving right along, let's talk. Uh, cover off the metagame week in review. There was a lot of team tournaments last weekend, so we'll mostly focus on some of the smaller modern tournaments. Um, there was a MDGO modern PTQ. Um, top eight was humans, Urzatron, creatures toolbox, which is, means that we're talking about the um, Vis- Viscera Seer uh vizier of remedies uh style combo that uh gets infinite mana off of devoted druid, devoted druid and then walking ballistas you out of the game um humans again in fourth ad nauseum uh hate bears this was the white black version with wasteland strangler uh similar to the one that i play wow they were they, these guys were running a gaunty lord of luxury main and modern spicy uh <laughs> Living End uh, in 7th, and Blue Red Storm in 8th. So again, for maybe the 15th tournament in a row, modern looking diverse and healthy. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing that they have managed that... um, I don't know how much testing they did beforehand. I hope they did a ton, but... um, No, no, no. This isn't format maintenance. This is... No, no, I mean... um, When Wizards decided to unban Bloodbraid and Jace because modern had been in a really healthy spot, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I I think they got lucky there, too, is my opinion. Like, I think they did some testing, but... They also got lucky that the format, you know, the decks that want to play Jace are already playing, like, we're already playing four Cryptic, and... uh, Yeah, and it's... it's, The four slot is is already in modern, given how fast it is. (laughs) Whether you're talking about aggro pressure or combo lock pressure within that period of time. 
a four, you have to debate heavily whether your deck wants anything in the four slot. And if it's going to be in there, do you are do you want to commit to playing it at sorcery speed? Um, and so the result is that Jace is good, not broken, and that's good for the format. Bloodbraid Elf looks uh, stronger than Jace because in the decks that wanted it, like Jund, um, it helps them keep the edge they already have on board by accelerating into further card advantage um, and keeping their opponents under pressure. But none of that turns out seems broken. I mean, we're, there's no Jund and there's no no Jace in this top eight. And life is beautiful as a result. We have two humans decks. Uh, humans, we, that's a safe bet that it's tier one now, right? The, the list is pretty set. Just... The, I think it's I think it's debatable whether humans or Jund or maybe one of the Tron variants is just the is tier one as modern is currently defined. Yeah, this uh, the deck is a beautiful thing to watch. Like the only question is whether or not you really want to one really want to run uh, Phantasmal Image, and both of these are uh, running three of. I like this. One of them has a Zathrid Necromancer main. That's a uh, that's a card. Normally they're in the sideboard. Uh, so, that, yeah, and the 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 human stack that one didn't have Dire Fleet Daredevil main, but the one that came in fourth had two in the side. Yeah, Static Cast. I like the um, I like Mirror Crusader showing up every now and again too as a sideboard card. That's always well against against John, yeah. right? Like that. <laughs> that like, does damage. Your Terminate looks nicer. Yeah, it's a good call. Good call. You got any bolts? Well, so so does your Maelstrom, your Maelstrom Pulse, your Abrupt Decay, your Fatal yeah. Push. None of those things Both target this. The the only thing that the, the, the only thing that gets a Mirren Crusader is a sacrifice effect like from Liliana yeah. the Veil, right? I think that or a sweeper if, if they get off. Yeah, they can't even block with uh, with Rage Intervene because it's a red green creature. And nope. so anyway, modern looks good. That's all there is. Like, we may as well uh, move on to uh, your insights on using Card Sphere. Um, we. I think we were actually the first podcast to interview Card Sphere when they were first setting up shop like a year and a half ago. Um, and for those that haven't checked it out yet, uh, it's essentially an alternative, like a hybrid between something like a Puka Trade, which was a trade-focused platform that ran into major problems through the inflationary pressure that was exerted by all the free money they were handing out, um, versus TCG Player, which is um, you know just a normal modern. Um, you know, Craigslist for trading cards, um, where you can bet both vendors and players alike can post their stuff for sale. Cardsphere sits neatly in the middle, right? As as basically um, a, a platform that is very cheap to use if you never want to get cash in hand. I would agree with that. Uh, there's always so um, Cardsphere. The way I've been using it, and I've been using it uh, relatively low end. I haven't sent out anything big. I've only gotten a couple of things over twenty dollars. Um, I've been sending out uh, tons of two to five dollar cards, or when somebody wants a playset of something like Vines of Vastwood at a buck a piece, I've been doing that, and just uh, turning my bulkier, like cheaper cards into value that I'm slowly accumulating, and then offering uh, enough to get uh, some filter lands and what was it, uh, Stranglehold. So just a, a bunch of uh, fun things that I've been wanting for EDH decks. I've built uh, two standard decks with it and one commander deck, and I haven't tried to cash any money out. Uh, I have put value into Card Sphere twice. You have the option, instead of just sending out cards to accumulate value, you can just put money into the system, and it, it's charged just like a, think of it like a gift certificate. The fun thing about Card Sphere and where um, you don't have to be an economist, but I imagine it would help, is that you get to set the thresholds at which you will pay for a card. So uh, you want a card at $10. You get to decide, well, how much would I actually give in credit? Would I give half of its value? That's pretty much below buy list. People won't do that. Uh, do I want to do 90%, 80%? The sweet spot for card sphere, and they, they publish this data on a regular basis, tends to be in the 60 to 75% range. You get a lot of your sends and a lot of your receives at that range. It's also really fun for picking um, picking up all the random things that you just don't feel like searching for. 
if there's a threshold at which I will not go looking for a common, it is not worth the time. And uh, putting a value of like 300% on a uh, 10 cent common, you'll eventually find somebody who will send you that card for about the price of a stamp. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a deep dive on that site sometime in the spring. Um, I think th- from a math perspective, um, what people need to understand is that when you are, if you send out cards and get cards, their fee is what, 1% or something? Their fee, yes, runs about 1%. Right. And so if you, if, if you send out a $100 card and you, in theory, have $100 of value in the platform, and you want to get that $100, then they charge a larger yeah. fee, right? It's no, 11%. It's, uh, last I checked, it was 10% uh, or 10%, 10% flat. or uh, $100, whichever, or $10, whichever is more. So $100 is the sweet spot for cashing out. Got it. So anything below $100, you're, you're dissuaded right. from cashing it. Right. So if you're trying to like, make a quick 20 bucks, it's probably not your best bet. You might do better on eBay or just with a local sale. Um, but if you're trying to trade repeatedly and then cash out, there is actually still value. Because if I recall correctly, I did some math on this early on, where basically, because there's no reverse compounding on the transactions. So for instance, let's say you sell a $100 card. And let's say you were operating on a platform that charges you 10% every time you sell something. So you sell a $100 card, you keep 90, right? You buy, you buy another card for 90 and then you sell it, you lose another 10%. And eventually over time, you're, you're whittling down to nothing if those cards never go up. Right. Follow? Whereas on Cardsphere, you could go in and out of cards repeatedly and only lose 1%. And at the very end, get hit with a, a single 10% charge, which will, if you, you know, put a little spreadsheet together, you'll see that that saves you quite a bit of money. Um, because the 10% isn't cannibalizing on the last 10%. Um, so it, it's a little tricky, but when you run the math, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, and that's really nice. It's also cool that you can essentially build your own buy list. Like you can compete with the buy list vendors by setting, um, you can bid 85, 90, 95% of retail value on a card and maybe pull in a Snapcaster mage or something. If you're, cl- you know, if you are, if, if say a card goes for $100 on eBay, after PayPal and eBay get their chunk plus shipping charges, et cetera, the person is usually left with something like $85. So if you bid 90, they get five bucks and you get $10 off retail and everybody wins. Exactly. Uh, I would point out too that you have the power to decide how much you want to go at this. There's a lot of people who set everything at 50% and are just patient. And that is a strategy that you can choose to follow, or you can be a little more uh, aggressive about things, especially if uh, I'm bringing up the best offers page right now. The best offer on a single card, somebody is offering 500% on a gaseous form. So instead of it being a 13 cent card, they will give you 75 cents for it. (laughs) Which still isn't going to make me leave my desk and go pull that out of a binder. But um, if you can find, you know, spend half an hour on the platform and find 50 bucks worth of that stuff, like you said, you might be able to get some cards in return to put together a deck you need. Um, There's a lot of flexibility in the platform. They don't have the inflationary problem because they don't give away, there's no points in the system and they don't give away anything for free. So where they're dissuading you from cashing out, that's because they're trying to protect themselves from having to pay fees on your behalf because... What people don't understand about these platform businesses is that a lot of the the logistical complexity comes from the third-party payment processors that they have to deal with and the minimum fee structures that they impose that they then have to pass along to us. So, you know, if these guys are charging 10% on the exit, keep in mind that that covers their entire overhead, the design and programming of the entire site, the server costs, um, dealing with customer service and the whole nine yards. It's really, you know pretty reasonable and competitive versus the other options. Um, And it's nice to have the trading option to dodge a lot of the fees as an alternative. So it's not something I've gotten really deep in with yet. Um, And if I do, I think it'll be pretty tactical. Like it'll be about putting in reasonably good offers above buy list on cards that I think have significant upside, Um, you know, undervalued EDH foils and the like. So anyway, cardsphere.com. 
take a look at it and uh, we'll do a deeper dive later this spring. We had uh, the folks behind it on once. Um, they've uh, they've been awesome with me on Twitter a few times. Uh, I've, I've pitched them to other people. Uh, in the last 30 days, people have gotten Beta Force Field, uh, Judge Foil, Gaia's Cradle. Somebody sent out a box of Lorwyn, a Library of Alexandria, Beta Wrath, uh, three uh, revised edition Underground Seas, and a Foil Force of Will. Yeah. The most traded card, intriguingly, is Field of Ruin, a card which I would be stockpiling if it weren't for the fact that they just said they're going to start doing FNM promos from standard sets again. That seems like a terrifyingly easy thing for them to do and ruin my whole plan. <laughs> All right. So that's a wrap for this week, folks. Where can people find you online, Cliff? You can find me on Twitter at Word of Commander and also every Friday on MTG Price. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com, including a fresh installment of Tipping Point coming out next week. Um, we'll have Travis back next week as well. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. That's the end of things for today. Thanks a bunch for having me on, James. Give me a call whenever Travis is getting his guard detailed and doesn't want to deal with us plebeians. Oh, he, he didn't explain this to you. We're supposed to be doing the detailing. We'll, we'll cover that after the cast. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks, Cliff. And we'll see you guys all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.